This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by IFA. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, August 17th, 2023, and I have the awesome Oliver Merlin here, the Managing Director of IFA. Hi, Oliver. How are you? Hi, Miriam. Very well. How are you? I'm great. So, you know, we'll be in Berlin in a, like a few days, and I just thought I'd have you on to give us a bit of a, a rundown, since you are the wizard of IFA, really, like on what's going on, what has happened in the past, where things are at. There's a lot of changes happening. You just signed on Tesla, apparently, as a yeah. participant to the event for uh, for your various companies out there. So where you know, is IFA going? Where are we at? And maybe start with a quick history for those who don't sure. understand or don't know about this awesome trade show. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, look, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the chance and I, I really look forward to seeing you very soon. IFA has um, long been respected as, I think, the best trade show and you use those two words. And I think it's very important that we probably talk about that aspect a little bit. For a long time, I think IFA, people recognize IFA as the best trade show for consumer electronics and home appliances. Now, that's great to say that if you are you know, interested in coming and looking at the latest hardware, be it a fridge, freezer, be it a TV, be it whatever like that, then IFA is the place to be, right? And I think that for a number of years, nearly 100th year next year, has been enough, okay? But if we look towards the future, people's expectations of what a trade show should be actually goes beyond the trading right yes if people have more and different expectations if they're going to come and spend some time face to face somewhere especially if they're traveling they want more than just that so the question is what do people want to do when they're face to face and i think that's the question that we have to answer and most organizers have to answer so it sounds to me like you are as an organization trying to define one of the possible futures of what a trade show could be. And, and uh, you know, I think it's very important that we talk about this because a lot of people think like CES or Mobile World Congress, that is not open to the public. I mean, CES, I think, has one public day, but this trade show, you know, IFA is open to the public. It's a huge difference, right? This is a major uh, differentiator for you guys. So, you know, obviously anybody who's listening right now, if you want to make it to Berlin... <laughs> Just come and get it. Um, yeah. It's very affordable to get in, so consider that, right? Yep. The major defining factor about IFA is that actually it's open for five days, so it's quite a long show. In the middle of those five days is two weekend days, and I think people assume that actually all the consumers come on the Saturday and Sunday, but actually consumers can, can come on any of those five days. So obviously there's a spike in the Saturday and Sunday, people, those consumers, and we're putting on a lot of consumer stuff for those days. Uh, but consumers can come for all those five days, which, as you say, is quite different to CES. Yes. I remember when my producer and I went to IFA last year, you know, it was kind of rebooting post-COVID and all stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was amazing. You know, we were surrounded by children who were checking out like the fridges and things. It, it's like on one hand, it was like, oh, my God, like this is so refreshing. But on the other hand, yeah. it's like, oh, no, now we have to worry about all these screaming kids in, the, in our video <laughs> recordings. But you know what? It just made things more interesting and fun. And I think it's, that's 
what you're looking for if you're local or even if you think you're going to come to Berlin, this is one of the things that I think makes it so cool. Like we were all kids at some point, we all went to a, you know, a car trade show and it was like a magical moment. And maybe this is a magical moment young people today will remember when, you know, they, I don't know, when they work in technology in the future, right? Yeah. So tell me like kind of where things are at this year, like what's different this year? What are you kind of trying to get out of it? And where do you think that uh, an audience that's tech savvy uh, like mine, you know, should be paying attention for IFA? Sure, sure. Well, I think, uh, you know, as we, as we said at the very beginning, I think being a trade show is not enough. So we're seeking to try to gain an advantage and deliver more value for our customers, but also their customers, so the consumers who come, or any visitor who comes really, be they from the trade or be they a consumer who just has a general interest more stuff for them to do when they're on site, right? Because like you say, a kid looking in a fridge, that's kind of interesting, but what else is there for kids there to do, right? So we're really going into a few areas this year that we think the consumer is really interested in and want to know about and want to have some experiences doing, you know, because some of the areas are not necessarily about trading, right? So we've gone quite hard into gaming this year because Somehow, IFA didn't really have that strong a gaming uh, offering in the past few years, and that for me is a big challenge. You know, how do you, how are you deal. a consumer electronics yep. so without a gaming offering, right? Sustainability, you know, that's a massive, massive decision point really in any buying process, but also generally consumers are very concerned about this. So we have now a whole sustainability village, which is uh, you know a physical space of several thousand square meters, including a mend and repair shop. So I think primarily local Berliners or maybe Germans, but actually anybody listening to your show, if they've got an old piece of tech they want to recycle, upcycle, or get repaired and fixed, they'll be able to bring it along there. And I think it's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great fun. And I think it's going to be a real nice practical show of, you know, what can you really do about sustainability rather than just reading your certificate of how, you know, energy efficient your washing machine is, right? Of course, that is huge. And then we are also putting together this content program called the Leaders Summit. It's not really just for leaders because we have, for sure, professors on there. We have a professor, Chris Miller, who's probably the world authority on chip manufacture, you know, how we're going to get the microchips that we need in the future, given that a lot of them come out of Taiwan and there's all geopolitical issues and so on and so forth. And we also have Quemelcop, who's a gamer with like 15 million YouTube followers. You know, So we're really trying to provide that wide spectrum of interest topics to a wide variety of, of people and not just uh, you know, sort of buyers from a buying group and what might they be interested in. We're really trying to expand, you know, and push that. In terms of some of your more tech-savvy readers, I think they'll really enjoy EFA Next. So if your readers and listeners and, and, and viewers have been to CES, they'll have been to Eureka Park, right, and seen the, the startup zone there. They go to Mobile World Congress, they'll see four years from now. EFA Next really needs a very, very... Uh, thriving innovation and startup zone. So we've really heavily invested in EFA Next this year. We've got, mm-hmm. We're going to have something like 500 startups, whereas last year we had 137. So you can see that kind of scale of ambition. And EFA Next will have its own content stage where five days of curated content specifically for startups and investors and pitch battles and all those great things that you'd, you would see are going to be there on site as well at EFA Next. Oh, that's fantastic. That kind of reminds me of South by Southwest and the tech track that they have there. I think, you know, my audience can probably relate to that a little better. So um, Mm -hmm. I have been a judge at South by Southwest on the tech track for years. So, you know, having to uh, kind of battle it out with the startups, always fun. It just pushes innovation. You know, I, I guess 
being based in Silicon Valley myself, you know, I have been doing TechCrunch Disrupt for years now. And, and it's really an exciting way of getting people to see some of the new stuff that's happening. But, you know, the sustainability stuff has got me really excited personally. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I think what I was curious about is the, were you able to sign on iFixit? Because obviously bringing your own phone to IFA to get it repaired with the assistance of an iFixit expert would yeah. be a major video to be made for us right. media journalists and YouTube creators. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that for next year. What we've done okay. so far is use like uh, local organizations who are going to do it in their, in their time on the, on the Saturday and Sunday only. But that's actually a good start. So yes, yes. will people be able to bring their broken phones and maybe yes. fix them themselves? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there'll be like a full two-day workshop where people can bring their old tech. They can either put it in for kind of recycling and upcycling and whatever, or they can they can wait and they can come back either later on that day or the following day, and the guys will have fixed it. And I think the other thing you have to kind of talk about Oliver, I think is is the venue, right? This is yeah. Berlin, and it's not just Berlin, it's Messe Berlin. And Messe Berlin, it's got such a personality as a site, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's that little lawn in the middle, and you've mm-hmm. got the stages set up. And, you know, it's it's that's why, you know, I brought up South By, because I feel like a lot of people think of trade show as this very sterile, you're in some, oh, some yeah. kind of conference yeah. hall, you know, like this gigantic thing like CES, or even uh, MWC, which is in a, in a newer conference center, but it's still very conferency in that sense, yes. you know? Yes. I think this is one of the things that makes IFA so special, in my experience, is you get that kind of like more like hot dog stand vibe and you know you're outside part of the time (laughs) and you can sit out there and enjoy a break with the birds singing and it just makes it feel really special well we uh you're right that it's um the the city itself is fantastic and we're doing a lot with the city when you know anybody's in berlin now or can see it now we've, we've got this project called paint the town red so red is starting to appear all over the city on those columns around the mesa in the airport now, you can see all these uh, red oh, nice. kind of adverts, which is good. And then, yeah, you're right. At the, at the Mesa Berlin, they've got a lovely kind of lawn outside. And we've invented a concept this year called EFA Outdoors. So in that garden area, you're going to have a big um, co-working space, which has been uh, sponsored or put on by Mindspace, which is one of the local, uh, you know, what you know, Mindspace. So that's fantastic. So we can actually, you know, sit down, plug in. You know, you could sit and, and write some of your stuff outside. There obviously is going to be a media room, but you could do it outside. And yes, you're right. Lots of food trucks, a real festival vibe. And in addition, weather permitting, hopefully, come on Berlin weather, we've invited a lot of the sports teams from Berlin. So there's a, there's one of the soccer teams in Berlin, uh, Union Berlin, who we've got a big partnership this year. They're going to be they're doing really well. They're in like the Champions League and so on. Their whole team is coming and there'll be photo ops and signatures and merch opportunities for all the kids. So yeah, we're really going to try and get that kind of that family festival vibe outside in the garden this year. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's really great. Yeah, I yeah. think that's going to really go over well, especially with, you know, primarily German audience, right? Obviously, I know from for the visitors, for the the non, uh, you know, tech journalists, tech business people, it's it's obviously a, a majority of, of people that are not too far away, right? Yeah. And that does have quite the vibe. I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Like, that's the one thing that I always enjoy so much about IFA is spending some time in that little garden area. Yes. And decompressing. And it's because everything is still close by, so yeah. you can actually enjoy it. Where do you think trade shows are going to be going going forward? Like, where do you think, I mean, obviously you guys are making clearly some major differentiation 
to stand out here as a, as a, as a show. But where do you think the industry should be going or is going? And do you think that we're going to see more radical shifts in the way things are being done? Yeah, I mean, look, I think we you, you can't just ignore what happened in the last few years. And, you know, a lot of our customers had some of their best uh, performing years because, you know, yeah, people were sat at home and looked, right, I'm going to upgrade my kitchen and I'm going to upgrade my home appliances, right? So they did. And during those few years, nobody was going to shops and nobody was going to a trade show, right? So business still happened. So you can't ignore that. That genie is out of the bottle. On the other hand, face-to-face is back in a huge way. You know, the, the, the pent-up frustration of people to interact and talk and even do deals. You know, the trading element is still there. No doubt, uh, there's, you know, EFRA is still a hugely important trading platform. But the question is, what else, right? right. What more, yeah? yeah? So then you're really getting into the mode of, you know, trade show organizers really having to think like festival organizers, right? Concert goes, you know, we haven't gone huge on the concerts this year because we've got the 100 coming up next year. But you have to think about what else is it that people want to do when they're meeting face-to-face? You know, they just want to sit down and have a drink or have, you know, intimate meetings or, or, or whatever. So it's not just about these put on a huge exhibition stand and, you know, let the customers do their thing. It's you've really got to, you've really got to think. So we're having good conversations um, with a lot of our customers and some of them are very forward thinking. They're obsessing already about Gen Z. Some of them even thinking about, you know, Gen Alpha, the next gen that's coming up, right? Teenagers and so on who haven't got purchasing power now, but in a few years time, not many, you know, 10 years time, they will be right. So you need to plug into them now and understand how they want to interact with you and them and each other and technology and so on. And so that doesn't come overnight. If you're not in the game from now and developing that kind of brand affinity and brand, you know, warmth and love, let's say, you're not going to get it because you won't have the credibility. And so a lot of our customers are now realizing it's not about, you know, oh, if I offer a 20% reduction for people at EFA, people are going to buy my product. No. Yeah, they, you have to get your brand loved. And getting your brand loved offers maybe opportunities to interact with your customers and your consumers in a different way. Not so transactional. It's really more than the products. It's about the Correct. kind of the culture of tech, really, right? Correct. Correct. And, you know, for better or for worse, there is such a thing. I know a lot of people are a little tired with the culture of tech these days for various reasons, but I still think there's so much to be had there. Mm-hmm. Every time I go to IFA or another trade show, I see innovation. I see things that are going to make people's lives better and are really worthwhile. And I think that. To me, that's kind of why I think trade shows still matter. You know, you summarize it really well, but overall, I think that there's a bright future for them, uh, mostly because as a human species, we're really a face-to-face species, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, and technology is, is, is just ongoing. It's something that is a part of, you know, humankind. We've been creating tools and making things since the very beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm actually super excited to be seeing you and everyone there. And I'm sure my audience is super excited to hear what's coming out of IFA in a few days. Any final thought that you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? No, I mean, look, IFA is, uh, is a lot of things historically to many people. I think come with an open mind, bring two different pairs of shoes because you're going to do a lot of walking. <laughs> uh, you know, and 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 prepared, prepared to be wowed, and uh, as you say, have your imaginations uh, and your, you know, to be inspired. Because as you say, technology is always changing, and it never kind of fails to amaze you about all the different things you see from one year to to, to the next. Fantastic! This is the the new chocolate factory, Ifa. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, 
Thank you so much, uh, Oliver. Thank you. Really appreciate having you on and chatting with us about IFA. Yeah, we'll I'll see you in Berlin very soon. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, see you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Bye. And that's it for IFA. <laughs> Lots of uh, cool stuff here. Anshel, thoughts on IFA? Uh, I don't think you're going, right? No, not this year, unfortunately, but I do think it's a good show, uh, especially if you love appliances. Yeah, I think so too, but they do have some phone announcements. You know, Honor is definitely going to be there and has something we're going to talk about. And uh, of course, I just wanted to share the dates with the crew here because we didn't mention them, but it's um, 1st to 5th of September in Berlin. So coming up very soon. Folks, I'm with Anshel Thag of More Insights and Strategy, who is an awesome, awesome person and an analyst. And we want to talk today about some news items but kind of put them in context of you know, our market here in the West. These are all mostly Chinese phones or you know, foreign market phones like India, et cetera. And you know, Anshel always has an interesting take on these things because he sees the whole, the whole as a whole. So yeah. So um yeah, the the first thing I want to talk about is the new Xiaomi Mix Fold 3 that was just dropped this week. And honestly, it looks super hot. And it seems to, you know, click all the boxes, tick all the marks. And I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on, on this thing. Like, you know, it's obviously China only for now. They might make a global version. But in the context of Samsung being so slow at evolving their foldables, or at least it seems like, where do you think, you know, this fits in? I think the problem with some of these awesome Chinese phones that we're seeing is that a lot of them end up being China-only exclusives. And because of that, there's no competition or not enough competition outside of China. So I feel like we've gotten to the point where there's almost two different smartphone markets. There's the Chinese smartphone market, and then there's the rest of the world. And even like some of the traditional markets where, you know, Xiaomi, Oppo, Vivo play, they're not the same as the Chinese market. And they're not as aggressive on pricing and they're not as aggressive on like getting the devices out of market quickly. It feels like the Chinese market is where you see the most competition. And I think even when you look at like something like MediaTek, a lot of their flagship is all in China. So it, it's just weird to see that the most competitive smartphone market in the world is China, but we don't really see that competitiveness anywhere else. Yeah, and you know, it it's vexing for those of us who are phone fans and fans of tech in general, like my audience, because we're like, okay, like, you know, these are all great phones, and of course we can import them, you know, unless it's a Huawei phone, you can install GMS and get all the Google stuff working. There are a few caveats in there. Usually you can't change the launcher or the text messaging app, and there's a few little other things like Google Pay won't work or whatever. But Overall, you can make it happen. The bands are generally there. You don't get the full set, but if you're on Timor or AT&T, you're generally fine. So it's not like an impossible proposition, but at the same time, I don't want to recommend it. And at the same time, I feel like, okay, so that means if you want a folding phone like this Xiaomi, you know, a book style folding phone, that now means you are two choices here in North America and pretty much in Europe. And actually in Europe, it's just even less choices because you don't have the Pixel Fold in all the markets. So Pixel Fold or Galaxy Z Fold 5. And 
I think the Pixel Fold is very solid, but it's very much still a first-gen product, right? And then it has, you know, like this Tensor chip, which is mm, problematic, I feel like. I mean, not for everyone, but it is, compared to Snapdragon chipsets or even MediaTek chipsets, not quite there. And then you have the, the Fold 5, which is super iterative this year. So do you think that Samsung's kind of resting on their laurels because they don't have to worry about the Chinese competition? Because their primary markets seem to be Western markets. Does Samsung even sell in numbers in China right now? I I don't think so. Um, I, I as far as I I believe I think they know that they don't need to really compete that much uh, outside of China and in China I, I think they know that there's really so much competition in the Android space that they don't really need to invest that much in that market. It's kind of like um, how a lot of OEMs don't really try that hard in Japan because of their iPhone install base. Yeah, and before that, the, the the crazy flip phone feature phones that they used to have that had like every camera fancy feature you could imagine, but it still had a T9 keypad, which they still sell in Japan, actually. There's a whole market for that there. But yeah, no, I agree with you. But do you think it's kind of stunting our progress here in the West? Do you think I mean, obviously, people are not even aware of it unless they're my audience or, you know, your clients, right? But I'm just wondering, like, how far can we go before this becomes a problem? You know, I feel like we need progress. And if Samsung's not even trying, we know Apple's not going to make a flip phone or a folding phone. So where does that leave us, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we're already kind of feeling the effects of it, especially with the Fold 5. Um, because I think if you look at the Fold 5, there just isn't that kind of competition. So uh, if that's the case, then they didn't have to try on the Fold. But if you look at the Flip, they definitely tried a little bit harder, um, especially when you look at the, the storage specs. Um, you know, I don't think they were planning to do 256, but I think Moto pushed their hand or forced their hand. Yeah, and for sure. I think that's, you know, if, there, if it weren't for Moto, in the market, I'm not sure that would have happened. I also feel like our Moto, you know, obviously these phones have been planned for months, right? It's not like, like we're looking at a year lead time, a year and a half. So obviously Samsung and Moto have been working on these full screen cover screens on the flip folding phones for a while, probably without knowing each other doing it, right? Unless there's some kind of espionage in there that I'm not sure aware of, but I don't like conspiracy theories. So I just feel like, you know, um, what by the time Moto launched this is the Razer Plus, Samsung was like, okay, so they have a full screen, you know, full size cover screen or whatever. Good, uh, we have that too, right? Basically, so it was really the storage. I think you're right. It might have pushed them to upgrade the storage. It's something that's easily done, right? Because for sure they had a 256 gig version. They might have had a 128 originally for that same price, and so that that was an easy fix for them. But I do feel like there is, you know, a kind of a wild card in this discussion, and that's like Oppo OnePlus, right? Like if OnePlus, when OnePlus, I mean, it's a matter of when, I think right now, it's very clear they're working on a fold-style folding phone for North America and Europe, which may or may not be identical to the Oppo equivalent, uh, probably because of pooled resources, I presume. But if that phone comes out and is good, I think that's that I'm actually might, you know, kind of light a fire under Samsung 
to kind of improve themselves next year. But at the same time, when I see the Xiaomi or, you know, the Honor V2, the Magic V2 we saw, that's 9.9 millimeter thin, uh, I'm asking myself, like, you know, are they really trying when I see what's going on? So do you think Oppo or OnePlus in this case in our markets in Europe can potentially make a difference in reigniting some progress here? I, I'm measured in my beliefs, mostly because they have kind of pulled back in the U.S. in terms of their involvement in the market. Um, you know, they're not in any carriers, and I don't think they will be with this foldable either. They'll obviously be compatible with the bands, but in, in North America, if you're not in retail, um, you're going to have a very hard time doing well. Is the uh, Pixel Fold in challenge. retail? I believe so. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was... I mean, they carry it, maybe, but I don't even know how, you know, integrated it is. Um, I'll give you an example. I got a Pixel 7a review unit sent to me by T-Mobile, and it was unlocked. So it tells me that they have a stock of phones, but they're essentially the Google phones from the Google store just being delivered to the carrier stores. And there's no special firmware on there, which is weird to me. It could have been a, a kind of a fluke because it's a review unit and they got them early on. I don't know. But I'd be curious to know if folks, you're listening and you're, you know, have a Pixel Fold or a Pixel 7a. If your device from the carrier came unlocked or not, if you bought it through them. I have mine, but mine was also a review sample from AT&T, and I, I can't remember if it was unlocked or not. <laughs> well, so, you know, this is what I'm kind of afraid of, is that, you know, because I don't have a carrier presence OnePlus anymore, it's just gonna not going to make much of a dent. But at the same time, if they are available through retail, like, Best Buy and B&H and Amazon and, you know, their own website, I do believe there's going to be a niche. I mean, it's we're talking about a niche already, right? Like the folding yeah. phones, like especially the, the book style. And I think that, you know, the people who are tendency to buy these phones are pretty tech savvy or power users. They're more likely to cross shop, right? They're more likely to be willing to you know, maybe get a deal through Best Buy on their new line or whatever, if they can amortize the cost without paying full price, right? So I think there's some some potential there, more so than, say, a OnePlus 12 flagship, you know what I'm saying? So that might actually play out. But my big concern, and I think this applies more to Europe, is like all these lawsuits that they have, that Oppo and, of course, OnePlus by, um, by association has, like in Germany, um, that are kind of forbidding them from being in the market. And, and like, so that, that might put a kind of a, the brakes on things and still Samsung might be like, yeah, whatever. And of course, this is just assuming that they don't screw this up, that they actually make a, a full on, like something like the Xiaomi phone. If you look at the specs on the Xiaomi, I just want to kind of look a little bit and tell the audience, this is pretty impressive. Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, of course. It is got a triple camera system with, you know, a, a folded lens telephoto. Um, all the cameras have OIS except for the ultra wide. And there's two telephotos, a 3X and a, you know, and a 5X. Um, that's really impressive, honestly, for, we haven't seen anything like that. Even the Pixel Fold, I mean, it's pretty amazing. 
but it um, doesn't have that intermediate 3x telephoto, which yeah, you may not need with super res zoom and a large sensor. But um, but look, if you look at the specs on this, it's very impressive, including wireless charging, which you don't see on a lot of Chinese watt. phones. You know, so like, yeah, 50 watt on top of that. I know it's uh, something. So this phone, you know, doesn't mess about. It's using Samsung's best display, the E6, you know, OLED. It's uh, got pretty good specs all around and you know pricing is pretty competitive of course because it's xiaomi so it's only 10.8 millimeters thick so it's uh, about a millimeter thicker than <laughs> than honors if you're gonna be that picky at that point it basically means this thing's gonna feel like a normal phone when it's folded right um and so if they can do something like this at, at oneplus and oppo and bring it to North America, I could see Samsung going like, okay, so maybe we should crank it up a notch next year. But until that happens, I don't see it happening, right? I wouldn't even see them crank up a notch unless there's meaningful sales. Well, that's true too. Yeah. And that's the big question mark, isn't it? Especially about the carrier channels. And Samsung pretty much dominates in sales. It doesn't matter what you're looking at, really, like at this point, you know, if you're looking at the A series or S series or these folding phones. So it's like, you know, the Razer, I love it. In some ways, I like it better than the Z Flip 5, but I know it's not the standard chance on the market right now. Like people are just going to buy Z Flip 5s in droves, right? Compared to the Razer Plus and the Razer, right? <laughs> it's, it's kind of a bummer because I think for once, Moto made such a solid phone, you know? Have you played with it at all? I use it extensively and I love it. Yeah. I'm, it's good, right? I, I'm I'm slightly more tipped toward the razor than I am towards the flip. I, I'm Me a, too. I'm I'm a sucker for aesthetics and I just feel like the cover screen on the Moto is just better integrated. And I actually think the cover screen software on the Moto is very good. Yeah, I think that what makes the Z flip better, as I mentioned in my review, is it feels like such a monolithic brick like it feels so like the razor tends to flex a little bit and that's not a bad thing you know uh, just so you remember that if you, when you drop a phone the phone needs to have some flex but i'm impressed with the build quality and you know based on anecdotal evidence from people who've tested this uh closing and opening the hinge i don't know if you saw that video they they did the comparison between the razor plus and the the flip five and they actually did it <laughs> with humans closing and opening the thing, like taking turns over like hours and days. And what they found was that, uh, yeah, the Z Flip 5 outlived the Razer in the end. So I'm impressed with the durability. I also visited their test labs in, you know, Korea. And I did not think they abused them that much. Like I kind of know what a test lab should look like. I visited them before, but considering these are folding phones, like, holy crap balls. Um, but, you know, the verdict's still out. For me, I think where the flip is better in terms of software is the widgets. I think the widgets is, like, if you're just an average user and you don't care about running apps on the front screen, I think flip is a better is a better option. I think that if you're like us, a power user, and you really want to be able to triage your Gmail in the Gmail app right on that front screen, there's only one way to fly, and that's this Razer Plus right now, you know? So yeah, the Xiaomi phone, I hope they make a global version. So those of us who want to import it at least get all the goodness. But it's not 
looking very clear. And also, you know, like this is not coming to the US. Our best chance right now at a third player is going to be OnePlus slash Oppo. And that bums me out, honestly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, the flip phone situation, there's really nothing. We, we have the Z Flip and we have the Razer. And who knows if the other Razer is coming to the US right now. It's not out yet. It's out in some markets. The reviews are out there. It's not that cheap in other markets either. So if that does come to the US, it needs to be cheap. Like I've, I've been hoping for $699. And if they can hit that, it's great. But then you have the problem, right, Anshel? And you correct me if I'm wrong, is nobody cares about the price of the phones in North America. They just buy them subsidized, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a moment when people did care about the price of the phones because the carriers were, you know, no longer seeing subsidized as a, as a business model for, I think maybe two years and then they went back to it. Um, but yeah, I think not only has subsidized grown, but it's also become longer, right? We, we now have three year refresh cycles <sighs> instead of two year, which lowers the payments. Um, but it also, kind of acknowledges that the refresh cycle is now more than two years. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of hoping that, you know, Moto still does this phone because I think it'd be nice to have a 699 folding phone, you know, that just cranks the spec sheet down just a notch, not so much. The, 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 the design is the same, essentially, right? Like we're looking at the same hinge, same, you know, chassis, same display, the main display internally. Um, and that's actually pretty good. So simply just so that it exists and we have some options, but I'm not sure it'll translate into people picking that over the Razor Plus when they can get a subsidy from a carrier. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, it's a bit, I'm a bit bummed this week is what I'm saying, because I just reviewed the flip and the fold from Samsung and there's all this cool stuff happening abroad. And I'm like, we're not getting any of it or maybe some of it with OnePlus. And now that I've used more of these folding phones, the Pixel Fold has become my go-to in folding land. I'm really happy with the form factor, particularly, and the cameras. Um, I'm not happy with Tensor, but I'm willing to live with it because of all the other goodness and software and stuff. But yeah, the, the Z Fold 5 less, left me kind of cold, and the Z Flip 5 impressed me more than I thought it would because of the widget experience and how well put together it is. But, you know, this thing, until I get my hands on this Xiaomi, I won't know how it feels. But based on my time with the Mix Fold 2 last year, I don't think it's going to be worse. So, and that was pretty solid and pretty thin. Um, so we'll see how it goes, right? Now, speaking of Xiaomi, we actually have another phone that I just want to mention because... Hey, it's a it's a weird one. First of all, it's got a Dimensity 9200 Plus, which is flagship SOC right now, right? And uh, it's kind of like they're. I feel like they're billing it kind of almost like this OnePlus 10T last year, which was like a gaming phone in disguise. You know, Redmi is kind of like the more affordable brand of Xiaomi, and the K series has always been the higher end models, and this is the K60 Ultra. And uh, you look at the specs and you're like, like, you know, the display, right, is is between 1080p and quad HD at, at 2712 by 1220 pixels. And it's got that, that Dimensity chip, you know, 
144 hertz refresh, you know, uh, a 54 megapixel Sony IMX 800. That's a really good sensor with OIS. And then, you know, then it kind of, then you can start seeing the gaming kind of bent of the thing, right? Great chipset, great display, but then eight megapixel ultra wide, two megapixel fixed focus macro, wah, 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 right? But, you know, overall, this is based on the price, you know, it's pretty great. Like it's got, you know, 5,000 milliamp hour battery and like you look at the prices and we're starting at, this is China. So add a hundred US dollars roughly in your head, but 385 US dollars. Actually, there's a model that's 355 US dollars. And, and you know, one of them comes with 24 gigabytes of RAM. Okay, so we're going to talk about this again with the OnePlus H2 Pro in a minute. As an analyst, what's your take on this RAM thing? Is this just like, you know, bragging rights at this point? Or do you think that this is a legit thing for people who are hardcore gamers? It's not a gaming thing. Um, it's what I believe is once the spec war, we, we you know, we've been ramping the, the memory number every year. People are pushing the envelope. But I actually think... This is more about trying to build a device that does on-device AI well. And the memory bandwidth is a function of the frequency and the capacity. And higher memory bandwidth gets you better AI performance. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's sure. why I think they're also using UFS4 storage. Right, they are. I mean, this is everything. Like the RAM is the fastest RAM you can get, DDR5X uh lpddr5x like it, it's yeah the thing is like as i said other than the kind of beyond the main sensors the camera kind of fall apart everything else about this is top notch and the pricing is pretty amazing even if you add 100 bucks to it it's uh it's very it's very red me <laughs> very red me but I, I like it you know i think this is for some people this is gonna this is gonna do the job right you don't need more than that and also, you know, the other thing I've noticed, a lot of these phones that we're discussing this week have some sort of IP rating for China, which is unusual. Usually Chinese phones don't have an IP rating at all. All of them are somewhat splash resistant. They all have a seal around the uh, SIM tray and they all, you know, I'm sure can be sprayed with water from a, from a garden hose without any issues, right? But um, yeah, look at this, you know. It's got 120 watt charging, 5,000. This, this thing is crazy. Yeah. Do you think there's a market in the US? Like, you know, we've seen Pixel, right? Pixel has made a flagship. Now the 7a, I think, is a flagship, even though it, it slots below price-wise all the other pixels, um, except the 6a that's still for sale. But you now that, you know, with the 7a that they've added wireless charging and they've added 90 hertz display, there is really no spec on there that's missing, right? You don't have a telephoto and that's about the only thing. So my question to you is when you see us, with the exception here being Pixel, because it's kind of stands out by being so different price-wise, delivering this flagship experience at a lower price point, other than Google, do you see a place in the US for somebody like maybe Moto or OnePlus to come in, like the 10T last year, right? To come in and make this phone that makes a few sacrifices, but it still brings a flagship experience at $400 to $500. No, I, I, I wish there was, but to your point, with subsidies, you basically right. have 
a premium market and then you have a prepaid market. Prepaid is, you know, all the devices that are under $300. And then the, uh, the postpaid market, which is all subsidized, is going to all be in the seven, eight hundred plus range. So I think that's kind of where we've landed, unfortunately. Um, but there just isn't a middle anymore. And there isn't, you know, people have tried, right? It's not like we haven't seen companies try to, to put a product in there. Um, they just didn't move. And if if people try and they're not successful, they're not going to keep trying again. So I guess the equivalent on Samsung land was this, the fan editions, right? And the, But the A-series exists. How is the A-series so popular when subsidies don't matter in the U.S.? Because they're free, right? right. It's, a, it's, it's a subsidy because the phone is free, right? It's like, like the it, Moto G series, right? They're free, yeah, basically. As, as, as long as the phone falls within the carrier's ability to subsidize it, for free, right? To subset it as a free product, um, then then it's fine. But I feel like some of these mid-tier devices might just be out of reach on, in terms of price to be free. And if people are paying, they might as well pay. Yeah, right. I get it. So how do you explain the phenomenon that's the Pixel A series? Is that just Google throwing money out the door? I, I think the Pixel A series, to your point, is a fluke. Um, but I think it is the one device that satisfies the market for people who don't want to have a subsidized service and want a minimal device. A minimal viable product. Yeah. And I just don't think there's any more room for that market. They've already executed it so well that I just don't think there's another player in the market that will actually benefit from it. And in a way, Google stole OnePlus's show there, right? Because yep. like the 10T last year should have been what the Pixel A series is this year, but it wasn't. You know, they made the wrong choices and the price was just high enough. And also they didn't, uh, they didn't understand their market, I feel like, with the 10T last year. That's what I wrote in my review. I was like, you know, this market wants what, what Google delivers. It wants that solid software experience and then a super well-balanced experience. The 10T was, as I said, too much of a gaming phone. And this is actually a good segue because we have a phone that is now available in China that would be coming out in the West as the 11T. It's the OnePlus Ace 2 Pro. And, you know, last year, the the OnePlus Ace Pro was what became the 10T. It was the first 150-watt phone, you know, for charging speed. And uh, this is basically the successor. Now, from talking with Robin, the CEO of OnePlus and other people on PR team and stuff, the feeling I got is this year that they're not going to do an, a T version for North America. So I don't think we're going to see this as a product here. I could, I could be wrong. They might surprise us. The reason I don't think so is because that folding phone is coming and they really want to put all their eggs in that one basket, right? But you look at the specs on this, right, on Shell, and it's like, again, it's very much just this Xiaomi K60 Ultra we just talked about. It checks all those boxes, and this one has a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 instead of a Dimensity 9200 Plus. But then, you know, they kind of cut the corners off at the camera. The main sensor is fine, but the rest is meh. And uh, it's got that crazy charging speed. 
But yeah, basically that's all you get. You basically think of it as a OnePlus 11 5G, but slightly detuned even further. And higher, higher charging speeds. And the 24 gigs. <laughs> right. Oh, there we go. The 24 gigs again. Which, by the way, this is the third 24 gig, if we count the Xiaomi as well, because Red Magic announced 24 gigs as well on the 8S Pro. But I think not in North America, um, in other markets. So yeah, 24 gigs. I don't know. This thing is... When the more I look at the specs and the more I remember what the 10T was, the more I really hope they don't bring it here because it would just muddy the waters so much, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. what are you doing? Well, I, I just think there is a type of user that doesn't care that much about the camera and cares more about just like the phone's specs in terms the performance. of performance. Yeah, but this is my point. Like, you look at the cooling system in the 10T last year, that was a like... It just screamed gaming phone to me, right? The fact that it was designed so you could hold it horizontal because they spread out the antennas in such a way that Wi-Fi and 5G connectivity would still be stable even if you held it like in landscape, you know, and that's because of that, they had to remove the alert slider. Stuff like that tells me that they were basically making what they're doing here with this Ace 2 Pro, a a performance-oriented phone that is all about spec and performance overall, right? Not about, not a balanced experience is what I'm saying, because you're sacrificing right. some areas. So yeah, I don't know. The pricing on this is uh, a little higher than the, the, the Xiaomi, the Redmi K60 Ultra. This is 411 US dollars for the base model. And that 24 gigs is going to get you $548, which is, wow. Why do you even want that? Like, you said AI, um, but I'm like, the average person doesn't not need this, I think. <laughs> so the question is, who is this really for? As you said, people who just want performance above all. That's yep. like super niche, right? I, I think so. <laughs> Craziness. All right. So speaking of BBK Group, and OnePlus. We kind of touched on this already. There are leaks of an Oppo Find N3 flip. So in addition to, we presume, whatever this OnePlus folding phone book style is coming, the rumors have been that it's very similar to the Oppo. And then on top of that, Oppo has been working on a Find N3 flip to, you know, a successor to the flip phone they made, which was well-received. This uh, was launched at MWC. And I have one, and I love it. The camera is particularly good on that phone, despite no OIS, because of the Mary Silicon X uh, chipset, uh, additional mm-hmm. NPU, right? So this thing is a leak of what the design would look like, where it's very similar to the old one, but it's now featuring a triple camera system in the front, which means they added a telephoto. The rumor on this telephoto is it's a 32 megapixel telephoto, And based on that alone, I think this is the same telephoto we've seen on the Flip N2, the the book style one previously. So it's the 2X telephoto. It's really just kind of like for sensor fusion. It it doesn't really, you know, give you the kind of 3X, 5X, 10X telephoto experience you think of. It's more of a portrait lens. 
And we've seen that actually on um, the Oppo Find X5 Pro last year. That did not, it just had a 2X telephone and everybody's scratching their head going, you can do 2X with the main sensor just fine. What are you talking about? But the optics are such that it's more like optimized for depth of field and for, you know, 50 millimeter type portrait photography and stuff. So I think that's what we're going to see here. I am excited though, because they put the OIS back on the main camera, which they didn't have on the Find N2 Flip. What's your take on this thing? You know, I'm looking at my Find N2 Flip and it looks very similar. Right. Um, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it definitely feels very iterative. Um, yeah. I, you know, that vertical screen is, is fine, but you kind of have to turn the phone in sideways to really use it like effectively. Yeah, it's um, not great. So it's kind of a disappointment, to be honest. I thought they were going to, you know, maybe change that. Um, I, I almost feel like I'm happy that Oppo and OnePlus are doing a find, you know, find three clone in the US instead of doing a find N3 flip clone in the US. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's what so, they need to do. Yeah, I feel like now I know why. <laughs> yeah, faster charging too, which is pretty cool. Um, I don't think we'll see wireless charging in here, which is the one thing I also missed on the Oppo Find N2 Flip. But, yeah, I agree. you know, <laughs> uh, that's not what China is about. That's why I was really surprised that, that Xiaomi, you know, Mix Fold 3 had wireless charging. I really didn't think they are going to put it in there because they, they only seem to do that on their flagship, 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 like, candy bar tile so anyway we don't know too much about this phone but there is an event supposedly coming up late august in china that might launch this phone alongside maybe the book style folding phone that might eventually be related to or come close to being similar to the oneplus uh, open that we've been discussing that name though i don't think i can get around that name what's your uh, analyst perspective on that name it's gonna confuse the hell out of people you see I feel like this is like, it sounded different than Fold and it sounded different than, you know, anything else out there. And they're like, you know, it opens new possibilities or whatever. That's kind of like, it's such a Chinese kind of cultural kind of thing, right? Like, I hate to say that because, but it's totally, I can see somebody there thinking it's the best thing ever. And then we're all looking at it going like, it doesn't resonate with our market and our audience here. And it's hard to explain to people because they're like, but what do you mean? It's so awesome. And like, I think they should call it the OnePlus Flex. That would be better than open. You know, if There's you want to go things. fold. I kind of liked OnePlus V, whatever it was, V fold. You know, it's a little too close to Techno, I guess. Techno has the, the what are they called? The, the V fold as well. But look, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just, you know, bitter this week because I can't get all these cool phones here and I want people to experience a better folding phone experience. Ah, oh, man. Well, so let's let's finish the roundup of folding phone rumors here because Honor, so we know pretty much because Honor already announced the Magic V2, which is their, you know, current flagship folding phone. It's a book style and it's 9.9 millimeter thick when shot, which is crazy. I think it's less than five millimeters when it's um, when it's open, which is also crazy. And, you know, so far that's China only. So I am 100% sure, like I think we all are, that this is coming to IFA as a global model, right? But ta-da, we now are hearing rumors that there's two more. Like, I don't think 
I don't know what to make of this. Like, what do you make of this? There's this like rumors of a slim version, like even thinner, I guess. And then a light version, a light version would be detuned spec wise. To me, I think this makes no sense. They should make an honor magic V2 flip. Like they, they don't have a flip phone yet. That's what they need. Right. I mean, yes, I agree. I, I think flip phone is the next natural progression after doing a fold, right? Uh, generally, it's a higher volume product than, than most of the folds are. Um, the issue is, you know, it's a organizational marketing decision. Um, you know, when you have three Magic V2s, that's a lot of confusion because um, you're going to have to explain to people the difference between light, slim, and then the regular one. Um, so it's probably easier and better to just not um, keep using the V2. But I think what they think is, you know, they've built a lot of buzz and excitement around V2, and it has a reputation now, and they seem to be wanting to build on it. But I got to be honest with you, it, it it's just going to confuse people. I mean, I think it goes in with their naming conventions in the sense that the Magic 5 candy bar phone has a pro and like a whatever extreme. I don't remember what the name is. And then it has like a, a light version as well. I get I get all that. But you're right. Like, I want your take as an analyst. On, like, it's partially cultural, but do you, do you think these people have any clue on how to do marketing properly at all? Like, I just don't understand. Like, I, I kind of feel like you have some... Some crazy leader at the top who has um, an idea of how things should be. You know, does that sound familiar? Like, does it sound like anybody we know here in North America? And just uh, dictates what the marketing should be. And it just is completely, completely off the rails, completely doesn't make any sense, and completely doesn't fit with the market. I mean, I'm looking at it from even the Chinese market, honestly. My experience has been that um, in a lot of companies, that we deal with, um, there's not a lot of receptiveness to outside advice. Um, and there's not a lot of receptiveness to advice that comes from the lower echelons of the company, uh, even if they know what they're talking about. So um, that's that's a common problem in a lot of companies, but it becomes more apparent when they're foreign and they don't fully understand the market and when someone who's, you know, familiar with the market gives them feedback, they just don't take it. Yeah. I mean, that's, I've experienced that myself as a journalist. You're an analyst. I'm sure you see that a lot more than I do. But I'm just amazed, you know, that it's like, I get making three Magic 5 phones. I get it. You know, that kind of makes sense. You have like a flagship brand and family that you're developing into a pro model and a light model or whatever. Fair. Xiaomi does the same. You get Xiaomi 13 Lite, Xiaomi 13, Xiaomi Shooting Pro and Ultra. But I feel like we're not there with folding phones. Folding phones are still a niche. And as such, like, how many of these phones are they going to sell? Like, there's this speculation here that the V2 Lite would be a Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 and be $700, which, you know, again, add the China tax. So let's maybe say $900. Like, that's who's going to buy that? Like even in China, like it's, it's such a niche thing. Like you should, should have one folding phone. You're still selling last year's model anyway. So like, I don't know. I don't understand honor. Honestly, 
I'm a big fan of Honor. I really appreciate what they're trying to do in terms of the quality of the product. I think it, they deliver, you know, it, but I just, the messaging is so messed up and mixed up. I don't know what to make of it. You feel the same? I, I feel like when, when I was dealing with them regularly, I felt like they were missing the mark just so ever so slightly. Um, and I just didn't really feel like there was something particularly unique about how they were doing things. It felt like they were just another Android brand. Do you think this is just them trying to find their footing after breaking out of Huawei's universe? Or do you think they're just like, part of me feels like by now they should have figured this out. But part of me is also like, you got to cut some, some slack. Like there's so much cultural baggage was coming out of Huawei, right? There's got to yeah. be. So so where do you think it is? Do you think it's a bit of A and a bit of B here? I do think so, but I think that they are also struggling to let go of it, right? They're struggling to let go of the package. And, um, you know, for a couple of generations, their phones were undistingu- or indistinguishable from Huawei's, right? And a lot of people commented on it. Um, they've kind of moved away from it a little bit, but... Um, I'm not really sure if I feel like there's anything drastically different from other manufacturers even. Yeah, I feel like what I like about Honor is that the the Huawei-ness of Honor that still exists manifests itself in some interesting ways. And I think the ways it manifests itself in that are positive to me are they are still very strong in imaging. And you can tell they've inherited a lot of the kind of engineering prowess from from the the Huawei team, like the sensor fusion stuff they're doing is really strong. You know, I think their overall imaging pipeline is very good. Um, they're not always picking the right hardware to support that imaging pipeline. I feel like the Magic Five, when you look at what you know Oppo did with the the Find X Six Pro, and and then you know Xiaomi did with the Thirteen Ultra, and you know what uh, Vivo did with the X90 Pro Plus, you're like, yeah, you didn't quite hit it, you know, with the Magic 5 Pro there on in terms of hardware specs. But the software part of the camera is solid. But what I struggle with, conversely, is the software experience of using the phone. It feels so Huawei-like still. It feels like you have unlimited access to Google-ness, and you're still delivering a very you know, non-Google Huawei experience, what, two, three years in now? I It's weird. To, that's the part that I'm finding really weird. Hardware-wise, you know, there is still a family resemblance in a weird way. It's kind of growing apart slowly. But I don't mind that because Huawei phones were awesome. And, uh, you know, if Honor inherits some of that goodness and build quality materials and design choices, I'm not against it. How do you feel about all that? I want them to be more unique and and you know take the good that they inherited from Huawei but also you know be unique i just feel like um to your point i wasn't really that impressed with how some of their photography looked compared to the competition um and it was interesting because they got really good review scores on paper um but i just didn't feel like it really resonated with me uh like others had yeah and again you know you again i took some incredible photos with these phones and at the same time i'm like you know 
I take incredible photos with my Pixel 2, and they're way more consistent, and the hardware is not nearly as exciting, and um, I take pictures with my Xiaomi phones, and again, there's less consistency, but when I look at the overall results, you can tell that, you know, like some of the hardware choices that Xiaomi and Oppo are making on their high-end camera phones right now, you can see that in the photos, like the depth of field things, like things like that, and it really pays off because you know there's no processing involved to get there. It's just purely the physics of it, right? Whereas you, you, you know that Google's doing it with the crutch of AI, but doing a really good job at it, right? So it's like, I don't care how you do it. I just want to see good photos, right? And so with the magic, I always found like, it's almost there, but it's not quite. And then sometimes I take a photo, I'm just like, blog. And some one times I take a photo, I'm like, yeah. And it's like way too all over the map. Whereas Xiaomi is generally okay overall. And then, you know, and then there's Google that, and this is why I can't put down the Pixel Fold right now. It's like every time I take a picture, even though the sensors are lesser than the 7 Pro, I'm blown away. I look at it and I'm like, how the hell did this phone take this photo? You know, and I think the average person doesn't care. They just take a photo and they're happy or not happy with it. But for those of us who, like you, are camera people who understand how imaging works, who, you know, still shoot with real big glass and sensors, we see that stuff and we care, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, honestly, what's keeping me from using a fold daily is the camera. Yeah. Yeah. And that's changed for me with a pixel fold, honestly, except for the, you know, the fact that tensor gets too hot and, oh, man. <laughs> you know, when I was in Korea, I actually used the fold like the whole week to take a lot of my photos there. And... It was it was so hot there, like 112 perceived temperature when you were outside, like an oven, you know, 96% humidity. Like the real temperature was actually only like 98, which is still really crazy. But my point is, literally, I would go outside and my Pixel Fold became a hot mess, like in my pocket. Like there was nothing I could do. It didn't matter if it was idling. The thing could just not be used, you know? And uh, yeah, so that's what you should expect. You know, if you're in Scandinavia, buy a Pixel Fold. That's basically the takeaway. <laughs> Don't buy a Pixel Fold if you live in a hot climate. It's, I mean, it's not just a Pixel Fold. It's all pixels right now. But, you know, yeah, it's pretty bad. Like, you know how the Z Flip 5 and Z Fold 5, if you open the main screen and you're outside in the sun, they'll, they'll maintain that extra brightness, that 1,700 nits, like for a few minutes, like they will give you that experience, you know, and then eventually I'll be like, okay, I got to tone it down now. My battery's going crazy. My display is burning. And you're, you're okay with that. I'm okay with that. But the pixel fold 30 seconds, max brightness, that's it. Like after that, you know, just cranks it down. And so you're outside now in this bright sun and you can't read your display anymore. And you're like $1,800 on shell. <sighs> I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't pay great. that, but, and these other things I'm talking about, if you can live with that, then the reward is this awesome form factor. The, 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 I really love the passport, like the wide, not so tall front screen. That's super, super usable one-handed and the camera system. And overall, you know, it's less fussy of an experience than One UI. One UI gives you everything but the kitchen sink. I think that for some people, having the ability to window and to like 
rearrange everything exactly the way you want on the especially on the big screen on the inside is a big deal for me it's just i just want more screen real estate i want to run google photos and edit my photos in lightroom or whatever with more room that's all i care about i don't care about like running three side side by side apps or whatever and having the the dock and all that no i don't care it's just so that's why the pixel 4 works for me but i do appreciate that samsung went the extra mile for that functionality but then they did. They gave us one UI, which is, I don't know. I can't do it, man. You've been using a Z Flip and default, no? I have both. Okay. I can't say that I've used them enough to form an opinion because they arrived last week and I've been gone most of this week. So uh, I'm going to take it. them with me to like actually <laughs> use them. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I, I've been using the, the Fold 4 for a while and... You know, it's not that much of a departure, as we know. It isn't. So how do you feel about One UI on Samsung phones? I've mus- I'm used to it, honestly. Um, it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's really my, my problem is just that sometimes it gets sluggish. That's really my main complaint. I did not run into that with a Z Fold 5. So I think you're going to be okay on that. The HN2 is such a... It's such a great chipset, right? That I think you're benefiting from that. That's, you know, it's one of the little, like, I don't want to sound like the Fold is completely useless. I, I, I feel like the Fold 5 is extremely evolutionary, but some of the details really matter, like the chipset, right? Like, compared to the hot noodle that is the Tensor in my Pixel Fold, like, it's a no-brainer, right? So if 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 you get excited by the tiniest change in detail, then I think can possibly be happy with a Z Fold 5, but I wanted more. I wanted better cameras. I wanted a better battery. I wanted, I don't know. I don't like that form factor either, too narrow and tall. When you're talking about you wanting improvements. (laughs) (laughs) I know, craziness. What am I talking about? In this economy? Yeah, no, it's not going to happen, right? We have a couple of more items I want to just quickly poke your brain about uh, first one is is a uh, this is going to get you excited i think because i love my galaxy s23 ultra and it's getting a software update that includes a optical quality 2x zoom which it doesn't have right now which means that if you hit the 2x button you're gonna now get a proper crop of the sensor without you know some weird you know interpolation that was going on before and it's going to hopefully be better now of course you're going to be you know at the mercy of less pixel binning because now you're grouping you know instead of like what is it 16 pixels four by four you're now grouping two by two from 200 megapixels so in low light you might lose some but i think this is good news because pixel's been doing it apple's been doing it and Samsung really should have been doing it. And I love the fact that here we are six months in and they're still like improving this camera experience, which is really, really great. I think they've done a good job, um, you know, constantly making the phone better because they release one phone for the whole year. And, you know, they're going to aggressively discount these for the holidays. So they're going to want to move more units and, uh, you know, have adding more camera features and keeping it more relevant, um, I think is a good thing. As somebody who uses the S23 Ultra a lot on a daily basis, I can tell you a 2X, a quality 2X is sorely missed. 
Um, I use 2x so much on shell. I mostly shoot in 2x these days on all my phones. Well, I'm forced to shoot 3x because there is no good 2x. <laughs> it's a big deal. I think that, I don't know who wrote this article, but I remember reading an article recently on one of the Android um, websites about how, I think it was actually Rita uh, over at Android Police that wrote this. And it, it was basically how 2X is the sweet spot, that that should be the default main camera on any phone, that that really we should be moving away from a wide-angle main sensor to a 2X regular main sensor and then have maybe a couple of ultra-wides to choose from and then a couple of zoom lenses to choose from. Um, and that would be perfect. Uh, that's not going to happen, but we can dream. <laughs> you know? Fair. But it's true, like, 1X is still an, considered a wide angle. For sure. Here, here's what I always say. is like when I punch the 5X on my pixels, um, that's what my eye sees. Like, if I look at the viewfinder and I look at my, my eye sees, things are the same size when I punch in at 5X. Now, of course, that doesn't work for most of the photos I want to take. That's why 2X is a sweet spot. But it gives you a good perspective on how wide 1X really is, right? Which is why I like shooting with the 3X a lot. Yeah, for sure. So you must be excited about the rumor from last week that the S24 Ultra will have a 50 megapixel 3X, right? I take so many food photos with that 3X lens. Yeah. So many. I bet. I bet. So here's one last thing that I think is cool. Pixel Audio Magic Eraser. There's a leak of a video from Google for the Pixel 8 Pro that shows this new feature called Pixel Audio Magic Eraser. And what it is, is you, for video, of course, you record something and then you get three sliders, one for noise, one for voice, and one for the rest. And uh, you can basically uh, re-equalize the levels on, you know, um, noise versus your voice or the voices versus music or other things. And that's done with AI, by the way. There's a few plugins right now available out there that let you do that in AI, some better than others. But this is exciting to me because this is perfectly in Google's, like, you know, wheelhouse, know how wheelhouse area of expertise. So I expect it to be really good. Yeah. I'll, I'll say personally, there are definitely some videos where I'm like, I wish I could cut out that, that audio of that person saying something whether it's inappropriate or it's distracting, there's a lot of times where I'm like, this video would be perfect if I could cut that person out. <laughs> yeah. So let's see how that pans out. I will link to a bunch of things as usual. You know, I put links to every topic we discuss on the show. So check that out. Yeah. Anshel, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? I know you write for Forbes. There's a great article you just published today about what the carriers are doing in Maui uh, to deal with the emergencies and the communication needs there. I thought that was super cool. I might actually add that as a link. But tell us the rest of it, your social media handles, etc. So I'm on Shell Sog pretty much everywhere, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. Don't forget about that platform. A lot of people have. And yeah, I'm I'm also on LinkedIn under the same name. You can pretty much find me anywhere on the internet under on Shell Sog. I'm not hard to find. Yes, and you should definitely check out Anshel's writing on Forbes. You write there pretty regularly. Uh, and if you work for a company, you know, hire more insights and strategy as your analyst firm, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah. Thanks a lot. And you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankgirl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character. Just drop the vowels to get my handle. That's the handle on Instagram, on Twitter slash X, on threads, on, you know, pretty much everywhere. Blue Sky as well. Uh, I don't use Mastodon, but uh, there's also LinkedIn. So all the social media networks, follow me there. And then if you want to subscribe to the podcast, we're on all the major platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good music can be found. I found out I'm on Amazon as well. Amazon has a podcast platform, it turns out. But uh, the podcast itself is at mobiletechpodcast.com. So if you want to just listen on the web or maybe subscribe to the RSS feed, that's where you want to go. Also, there is a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast with some videos there. I've got like a hands-on video with the Z Flip 5 and Z Fold 5, for example, and a bunch of other stuff. So subscribe. You know how YouTube works. Like, tell your friends, um, click the little bell, comment, and all that good stuff. So I'll see you there. And finally, if you want to help me out financially, there's a Patreon. The Patreon gives you a video version of this podcast where you get to see me and Anjel right now. And, uh, you know, there's some bloopers sometimes in there and some extra content when I, I can find some. So check it out. It comes out ahead of the free audio version. So before everybody else gets their podcast in audio, you can get a video version through the Patreon. So consider helping me out on Patreon, patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. There's also a Discord server you can join that uh, lets you chat with me and a bunch of other perks there. So check it out. And if you can help, I'd appreciate it. If you prefer to help me in another way, there is a link in the show notes you can click through to get to a PayPal donate button. And uh, hopefully you can help me out with a cup of coffee or something. That would be also awesome. So yeah. I want to thank IFA for being our sponsor this week. IFA has been at the center of technology innovation and this year will be celebrating its 99th anniversary. More than 2,000 companies and 500 startups will be showcasing the latest in consumer electronics and home appliances to 180,000 attendees from around the globe at the upcoming IFA Berlin set for September 1 to 4. And I want to thank you, Anshel, for being my guest yet again and bring your analytical mind to the table. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We will have you on the show again sometime in the future. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.